You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Morning, everybody. Robert Carrillo here at Metro Vision Studios. I want to welcome you, welcome everybody, especially the Metro region, all those who are watching, our San Francisco crew, uh, all our friends, neighbors, and family. Thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, this morning, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm actually going to, we're, we're going to watch a sermon that I actually gave for the recent Stronger Conference. Uh, because of the topic, uh, I believe that it's apropos to go ahead and watch that this weekend, the weekend of the elections. Um, not that it's not a political message, don't worry. It's, but it is a call to being close to the scripture, uh, for us disciples, what God has to say to us. The title of the class is a practical biblical justice theology. And, um, it's, it really kind of represents where I've come to through a lot of study, prayer, and even growing myself this year in dealing with a lot of the topics that we've all been wrestling with. I think this message will actually help us. And, um, and, and I would please encourage us all to be praying that this week, uh, that peace would dominate. There is a lot of concern out there of what could happen this week. And we pray, our, our prayer obviously is that everyone would be safe and civil and that, uh, we would not put in, uh, that nobody's lives would be put in danger and that we handle these elections in a righteous way as a nation, as a people, and that we as disciples set a good example for everyone. So without further ado, here's the message, Practical Biblical Justice Theology. Good morning, everybody. Robert Carrillo here in Metro Vision Studios and uh, very excited about today's class, A Practical Biblical Justice Theology. And uh, this is a huge topic. Of course, we will only be touching lightly, but I think in a way that will you'll find helpful. Uh, uh, so many great things, so many great scriptures, so much depth in this topic. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start out with a prayer and then we're going to jump right on into our study. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for being a God who cares about us, who cares about our lives and, and how we're doing, even in this life, Father. And we're so grateful that you love us and that you send us to help one another. Father, help us to be a light to this world. Help us to really be able to serve and help each other and understand how these amazing scriptures can be applied and lived out in our world. Father, we know it's such a huge need in our world. And we know that there's such a, such a great amount of anticipation and anxiety that has been built up around the theme of justice. We pray, God, that your word would help us all to be clear-minded and to take action according to your will, God. We love you, God. We ask you bless our time to study now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so practical biblical justice theology. It's kind of a mouthful, but it's a very, very important topic. And as I prayed, especially right now, there's so much discussion about justice, about the theology of justice, about social justice, and many other topics. And, 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 and it is an important topic because it touches many, many lives and it has affected many people. Both the lack of justice, the injustice in our world is, is been brought to the forefront, which I'm excited about because I think I, as, as we look at the scriptures, you're going to see how important this is to God and therefore how important it needs to be to us. You know, justice at its very core is just what is fair and what is unfair, what is right, what is not right. You know, it's, it's, it's very intrinsic to our nature. We are, are very much wired to be sensitive to it. I believe because we're made in God's image and because it's such an important topic to God, it, 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 it comes pre-installed. I mean, it is literally pre-installed software in children. You, you try taking away something from a child when they thought they were going to have it. What are they going to scream? That's not fair. You give two candies to one kid and one to another. They're going to yell, that's not fair. And, and how many of us have yelled out in anger the statement, that's not right. You know, and we feel like somebody is being abused or taken advantage of, or all too often, if we're being taken advantage of, we immediately retort, we immediately respond with anger saying, that's not right. And I think that that's, that, that emotion, that feeling is there for a reason. 
You know, you see it come out. You see it come out in different situations. If somebody lies about us, somebody falsely accuses us. If we're watching a game, a sports game, and there's a bad call. You know, I remember a few years ago, the, the U.S. team was knocked out of the World Cup because of a bad call. And people were outraged and they were yelling and screaming. And, 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 and it just clearly hit a very deep nerve in us. I think that is because we are made in God's image. And over the last few months, you've seen so many protests and outcry about injustice. I show this picture about the Amish standing on a bridge protesting. You know, I don't know if you can read their signs. One says justice for George Floyd. Another one says thou shalt not uh, murder or kill. And then uh, one says I can't breathe. And obviously they're standing up for justice because they believe this is God's will. I mean, when I saw that, I thought, wow, if the Amish are standing up protesting, who is anybody to remain silent and do nothing? And, and, and if they're called to action, woe to all of us who take no action. Um, so let me take a couple of steps back to the most basic where we start out. The, what is theology? It is in its most basic form. It's the study of the nature of God. It's understanding God. It's this, and oftentimes, you know, we to either have a systematic approach, systematic theology, and we, we have a way to, to break this down to understand it or a practical approach. And, and practical theology is simply the study of theology in a way that is intended to make it useful or applicable. So, uh, I think for the average person in life, Here's where we really need some direction. Here's where we want to know. What's God's will? What does God want me to do or not do? So at the very beginning, we start literally at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. It says, so God created mankind, Adam, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God makes mankind, God makes Adam, and then he splits them into male and female. So literally... You know, each one has part of the image of God, and that's a whole nother study, but of how a couple coming together, male and, and a female, form the full image of God together. But, but the point here is that they are the image of God, is that we are created in His image, in His likeness. So there are things in us about love, about righteousness, about justice, about things being fair that are just there there as i said earlier they're like pre-installed software we come into the world this with these feelings these convictions this sense of fairness this sense of things being right this sense of things being just and a call for that you know the 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 the, the demand for things to be fair is a universal demand all languages all cultures all ethnicities have it and, and demand it and call for it. Um, in Genesis 9, 6, he says, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. You know, even the, in the sense of justice of, of that people should, people should not take lives cheaply or lightly and that our lives matter to God. Our lives are important to God. We are made in his image. We, we reflect him. You know, there's the classic, the classic, classic, uh, analogy of, of, of a silversmith's working and somebody goes up and he, they're watching him as he pounds on the silver and he puts it in the fire, takes it out, pounds on it, puts it in the fire, puts it in the water, pounds and he keeps pounding. And somebody asks him, how do you know when the silver's ready? You know, and uh, well, first they asked, what are you doing? And they said, I'm purifying it. And, and he's putting in the fire and purifying it. And then they asked, how do you know when it's ready? And he says, when I can see myself in it. And in many ways, that is the Christian life. You're, we're, we're going through the fire. We're getting pounded on, but we're becoming more and more like Jesus because there's, or more and more like God and God is looking for his reflection in us. But we have the basics of God already in us. We're, we're designed to be like him. We do best when we're like him, when we're living like him, when we're following him. It's when we really thrive, when we're living a life of love and justice and righteousness. So we see that throughout the scriptures. Um, the two key words, mishpat and sedekah, mishpat meaning justice,
meaning righteousness. And they are oftentimes found together because they go hand in hand. They really should never be separated because justice is setting things right, right? And just and righteousness is when things, when justice has been set up properly and is operating properly. So they, they go together. They're the same thing. Um, they, or they go hand in hand. Very important. Um, the classic scripture from the prophet Amos, let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. You know, most of us know this statement because, because Martin Luther King quoted it when he was on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and he was preaching to the, to the crowds. And that was the famous, I have a dream speech, but he was quoting the Bible and what he was calling for was that America embrace justice and righteousness, that we do what's just and what's right, particularly with the black community after a century of injustice and things not being right. And, and again, this cry goes out to people of all backgrounds, of anybody who's been treated unjustly or not righteously. It is particularly huge right now because it has, has come to the surface Basically, 400 years of injustice and things not being right. So at its core, Misfat Sadika, primarily about being in a right relationship with God and each other and to promote fairness and equality. A righteous life that results is profoundly social. It's a, it's a, it's a definition I grabbed a hold of. I think it's a good definition of things being right and things being fair as they should be. In Psalm 33, 5, it says, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. And, and what we're doing is we're looking at how God feels about these things. I have the name of God written above Psalm 33, 5. This is God. This is his heart. This is his heart that you're hearing right now. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. He loves this. He loves this. He loves it when things are right And when things are just, you know, I think about, you know, with my own kids, I love it when they're helping each other, when they're there for one another. It breaks my heart whenever they get in fights or they're not getting along or particularly when one is being cruel or mean to the other. That particular, I mean, you could ask the Korea kids, what makes dad matter than anything is them hurting each other. And, and I think, you know, and I just, I'm, I'm just me how amazing it is that God is the perfect father. And of course he wants us to treat each other fairly, to help each other, to care about each other. That if, and this goes right all the way up to what Paul said about the church. If one part suffers, every part suffers. And if one part is hurting, then all the body is hurting. And, and that's an important concept of, of community of God's people that, as Martin Luther King once said, uh, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. It's just we're all connected. Psalm 103, 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. What does that mean? Think about it. what does that mean? The Lord works righteousness and justice. I mean, he is, he is working. When I think about, you know, and, and I've, I've been all over the world. I've been out to many, many different communities in distress and poverty. And I think, what is God doing in those communities? What is he trying to do? And typically it involves people, people going there, serving, loving, giving, making a difference. And, and it's how the world will be changed, not by a political system, not by a political leader, not by a philosophy, uh, and certainly not by a new religion. The right religion has already been laid out. We just need to follow it. And that's how God works. But he's working through us to instill righteousness and justice. There's a whole bunch, there are many scriptures. I'm just going to read through them. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. This is another scripture explaining how God loves things to be right. And you, and you notice they keep being together. Justice and righteousness, Mispat and Sadika. The earth is full of his unfailing love. You see, this is all connected. You cannot pull out God's justice and study that without looking at his righteousness, without looking at his love. Because it's a whole thing. It's, it's, it all, it's a unit. It all goes together. It is the character of God. It's the attributes of God. 
He says, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like great deep, like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. I love this because he says that his righteousness is like the highest mountain and justice runs deep like the deepest parts of the earth. And he preserves both people, his children, that's us, and animals. You know, my love, my wife especially loves this uh, because if you know Michelle, she's really big on taking care of animals. And she's got scripture she quotes, you know, righteous man takes care of his animals. Um, but God cares. And, you know, when he commanded, when he commissioned uh, Adam, when he commissioned Noah, you know, he gave them responsibility of animals and land to take care of this earth we've been given, to take care of the animals we've been given. And of course, to take care of each other. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. And he says it's foundational, literally. He says it's foundational to God's throne, that things be set right, that things be done justly. Uh, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Okay, once again, what is God doing? The Lord is working for them. He's working for the people who've been denied justice, who've been abused in whatever form, whether it's economically or socially or racially. God is working on their behalf because he cares about everybody. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice. He's saying, you're going to marry me. You're committed to being with me in what? In justice and in righteousness, in love and compassion. See how they all go together. It is who God is. This is, you want to know who is God? Here's God. He is love. He is compassion. He's righteousness and he's justice and he works justice. He's out there doing things to help us. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never, never failing stream. And, and, you know, here he is. I'm reading again Amos 5.24. What does he want? He wants justice to march forward, to keep going like a river. It just keeps flowing and, and it for, and righteousness like a never failing stream that things are always being made right. If something's not right, if a group of people aren't being treated right, I mean, we see it right away in the early church when the, when the Grecian widows were complaining that they weren't being treated like the Hebraic widows. Immediately the apostles appointed the seven and made sure that that got taken care of. That was an act of justice. That was an act of righteousness to make thing, make sure that everybody is being taken care of equally. That is incredibly important to God. So I think it's pretty clear God's heart. And Jeremiah 22, 3 says, Thus says the Lord. Now here I have the Hebrew word for Ben above. Ish, ish. And he says, because he's telling us as people what we're supposed to be doing. He says, Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. You know, he, he, he doesn't just say believe in justice or acknowledge the importance of justice. He says, do justice. Don't just believe in righteousness. Go do it. Well, what does that mean, Robert? Well, that means we need to take action. That means we need to not be just sitting around watching movies about justice and righteousness. Yeah, we need to watch the movies about justice and righteousness. We don't just need to be reading books about it. We don't just need to be reading our Bible about it. We need to do that, read our Bible, read books, but get up and do something. Help out, make a difference. And he says, deliver from the hand of the oppressor. I mean, there are, there are, I mean, there are millions of people in human trafficking right now. Who's going to deliver them? God's people should deliver them. God's people should be out doing something. You know, there, there's different causes where people are being oppressed or being abused. And, and God's people are the ones that should deliver them and make a difference. I think for me, you know, for me personally, on a personal note, this is where I've really felt challenged over the years is, is seeing that what have I been doing? I have always believed in justice. I used to do a lot of stuff actually before I became a Christian. But I've never really 
understood or fully thought through or meditated on the fact that God is still calling me to go do something, you know, and, and it's, and of course it's got to be according to his will, but it's not just sit around and think about it or just talk about it or just read about it or just watch about it, but it's get up and do something. And he also says, you know, do no wrong or violence. I mean, there's sometimes there's big things we can do. Sometimes we're not in a position to do big things, but we can do little things. I mean, literally little things. Like I just decided I need to repent of using plastic water bottles. So I went down to Costco and bought me two water bottles. Now I'm working on getting the habit of carrying them around because I keep forgetting them. But in one sense, it's a small thing. I'm going to try to not use plastic water bottles, but it's something. And every something adds up. And then when millions of people do something, it changes the world. So don't get caught in the trap of, well, I don't know, buddy, and I don't have any influence. And what difference can I make? Everybody can make a difference. Everybody can do something. And he says, do no wrong or violence to the resident alien. And it's interesting. You know, he talks about resident aliens. Not a very popular topic right now. And, and, you know, I mean, we've, we've, Resident aliens have been labeled and, and called different things and, you know, demonized. And, and he says, do no violence, do no wrong to them. Don't demonize them. Don't label them. Don't profile them. Uh, the, the fatherless. Where do you see the biggest gathering of fatherless people? Well, in prisons. In prisons. That's, the, that's where you see the largest gathering. Children who grow up without fathers are so susceptible to being pulled into sin, to being pulled into negative and evil things and, and become victims themselves and live their lives chained in this. Well, who's going to care about them? God cares about the fatherless. God thinks about them. And he calls us to, to make sure we're not doing any wrong or violence to the fatherless or the widow, the, those that have lost their husbands or lost their wives and to help them, people, and, and, and really the whole group is people who really can't help themselves very much, or maybe even not at all, you know, or nor shed innocent blood in this place. I mean, this is a very specific calling from God. And you think about, with all that was happening in Jeremiah's time, with Israel and, and worshiping false gods, and why this? Why does he have all these social concerns? Because God is a God of love, and he loves his children. You know, when, 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 when our kids are sick or they're suffering, God forbid, when they're suffering, we're not distinguishing, well, what are the spiritual needs? What are the physical needs? What are the emotional needs? And I only meet the spiritual needs. Garbage. If they're, if you love somebody, you're going to meet whatever need arises. If they're hungry, you're going to make sure they have food. If they're getting beat up by somebody, you're going to make sure they get rescued. If they're being profiled or targeted, you're going to speak up for them. Whatever is happening, if they're suffering in any way, you're going to, as a parent, you're going to want to get involved and help them. Well, if we would do that, how much more would God, the perfect father, do for his children? And keep in mind that in a very specific sense, we are all adopted by God who are disciples of Jesus. But in a general sense, we are all made in God's image. And therefore, we are all God's children in a general sense. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. You know, we're called to open our mouths to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Well, what does that mean exactly? I don't know. You figure that out for you. But we're called to do something. We're not called to just agree that, oh, yeah, that's wrong. Mm, Shake our heads. No, we're called to do something, to defend the rights. Right? I mean, at the very least... You can write a letter to a, to a congressman. Let me tell you something. Those letters mean something because they know that every letter represents a lot of people. That there's, where there's one, there's many more. You write multiple letters, it's going to catch their attention. And, 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 and Congress people do listen. They, they, they're very, very much concerned about what voters think because that's where they get their position from. So we can all do something. Isaiah 10, 1 through 3, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Again, the fatherless. What will you do in the day of reckoning? When disaster comes from afar, to whom will you run for help? 
Where will you leave your riches? You know, I know, I think one of the things that causes a lot of anxiety is when we see bad leadership or when we see the government or a leader in any capacity doing wrong, we have to keep in mind that God is watching and God will take action. And, you know, look at, you listen to him. I mean, this is not light speech. Woe to those who make unjust laws and to those who issue oppressive decrees. You know, there, there's a lot of unjust laws out there, especially that have been done to the black community, that have been done to the Native American community, that have been done to different uh, minorities, uh, and, and, and from throughout history, I mean, and not just the United States, all around the world, this has happened. This is the evil nature of mankind to oppress their fellow neighbor and to oppress each other and to abuse one another for personal benefit. And God is watching and he sees this and he's, and he tells them, he says, what will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? I mean, this is a threat from God. This is God threatening people that you better treat your neighbor right. You better treat the, the, the widow or the fatherless or the, the immigrant or the, the poor or the, you know, he's basically warning them. If you don't treat them right, who are you going to turn to when you suffer? I mean, that's a very intense scripture. I love this scripture. And then we have the classic, uh, this is a foundational scripture. Micah 6, 8. You've probably heard it a lot lately. It's getting quoted a lot because it's a great scripture. He has shown you, immortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He, you know, it's, it's part of it. Really, you've got to read the whole book of Micah because Micah is basically a lawsuit. I mean, it's even organized like a lawsuit. Shema Israel, hear ye Israel. You know, in the courts, when they'd start a court, hear ye, hear ye, the honorable judge so-and-so. Well, there's three of those. It's organized along three charges against the leaders, against the people, and against us directly. And and, and in Micah 6, 8, he wraps up and summarizes. And this is a foundational scripture because this is one of the few times in the Bible where God says, look, here's what I'm looking for. Here's what really matters. It's like in Hosea 6, 8, when he says, or 8, 6, when he says, um, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus quoted that scripture multiple times to the people saying, go find out what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you know, and which is an interesting concept, an interesting challenge because who asked for sacrifice? God did. But the point he was making is that this is more important that he wants mercy, not just sacrifice. Mercy is what really matters. It's like in any relationship, there are priorities. There are some things that are much bigger than others. So here in Micah 6, 8, he's telling us what really matters to God? What really counts? In the paragraph before that, the two paragraphs before that, the, the, the writer is saying that speaking, you know, Micah speaking on behalf of the people. And they're saying, you know, what do you want, God? More sacrifices, more sheep slaughtered, more oil, more olive oil. What, what do you want, God? And so he answers and he says, I have shown you, immortal, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? He wants you to act justly. You first practice justice. You first be treating everyone fairly and rightly. And, you know, as, as the old, to, to quote the saying of Gandhi, uh, be the, the change you want to see in the world. You first be that. You practice justice. And you love mercy. And the word there is chesed, which is probably one of the most important words in the whole Bible. If you, have, if you want to do a powerful word study, do a word study on chesed. The love of God, the, the, the covenantal love, the loyalty, the committed love. He wants us to practice that with each other. And, and, and that means that you're committed to each other. You can't just walk with, that's not my problem. No, it is your problem. If that's a problem to your brother, your sister on this planet, that it's your problem too. And to walk humbly with your God, that we're listening, that we're not walking around thinking we know it all, we got it all, we, we, we figured it all out. No, 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 that we, are, that we walk humbly with God. The word is actually a word that's used 
of how a person should conduct themselves in the presence of a king or queen. You know, when I was in Cambodia a few years ago, and there was a, 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 a celebration, anniversary celebration of the Sihanouk Hospital, they, the, the, the young king and the queen mother came to the celebration. And before they arrived, I had to go through the, the protocol training. I, they, I was talked to about how to conduct myself in their presence. You know, I can't walk up and hug them. I don't, I don't initiate with them physically in any way. If he extends his hand, then I can shake his hand, but I don't just stick my hand out there and I don't touch them. And there's, there's things that because he's a king and because she's a queen. Now, I had to learn all that. Now, I've been around people in the world that thought they were kings and queens, but this was a real king and queen, and there was a way to act around them. That's the word used here. How do you act in the presence of a king? That's how we should live our lives, with that kind of humility, knowing that God is always watching, knowing that God is always present. This is what God wants us to do, to live our lives with justice, treating people fairly, rightly, and helping people to to be to practice has said that we love each other, that we have a commitment to one another as we have a commitment with God, and to walk humbly, allowing God to be the king in our lives. That's incredibly important. Well, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Did Jesus follow the theology of God? Well, we know Jesus is God in the flesh, so of course he did. But even, you know, he even quoted some of these Old Testament scriptures in Matthew 23 when he rebukes, basically he rebukes the uh, Pharisees and experts in the law. This is the famous chapter, the seven woes, where he lays out. And so much of Jesus' ministry was correcting bad religion, bad theology. People had such a misunderstanding of God and a misunderstanding of what it meant to be godly. And so Jesus was constantly correcting that and teaching them what it means that God is a God of love, of mercy, of kindness, of compassion, of forgiveness, and not judging each other and loving one another. And Matthew 23, it's towards the end of his ministry, it's wrapping up, and he lays it out. You can tell Jesus is running out of time, so he's just saying it, you know, and verse 23 says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. You know, I mean, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm reading it obviously with some emotion here because certainly you don't start out a sentence saying, woe to you, without there being some emotion in there. I mean, clearly Jesus was not happy with how the Pharisees and the experts in the law were presenting religion, particularly because they were leaders and they ought to know better. And, and they were not, they, what they were doing was majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors. And it's basically what he tells us is you, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. So they're so committed to tithing that they literally would take their spices and separate out a tenth of them to make sure they tithed everything. Now that's pretty meticulous. I actually did that once. I, I went through and I, I took out a tenth of our, of our herbs and, and, and I had them in a little plastic baggie because I was taking them to church to show the church. And here's my tithing right here. Here's my tithe. And of course, I didn't think about it, you know, cause it had oregano, it had paprika, it had basil, it had, you know, these different herbs in there. And everybody was like, Hey, that doesn't look like herbs. And I don't think a police officer would believe you. So you better uh, get rid of that little bag. And I learned my lesson there. But, but the interesting thing was how much time that took and how difficult that was. And yet that's not really what God was looking for. They were minoring in the majors. He said, you should have you should have, but you have neglected the more important matters, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Yeah, you got to follow the rules and yeah, you should tithe, but the big things are justice, mercy, and that's that word has said, and faithfulness, which is the same word as the word in the presence of a king. They both have to do with faithfulness. They're, they're living according to the truth, knowing that God is God and I am not. That's both faithful and that's both humility, practicing humility. 
But the important thing, he wants the very first thing out of his mouth, justice, justice. This is what God wants. God wants justice. And he wants us to have merciful hearts or, or hesed in our hearts. We're in a covenant of love. We owe each other a debt of love. We owe God a debt of love. And we need to pay that debt of love by loving each other, being committed to one another. If my brother suffers, then I love him, I will help him. If my sister is in need, I will help my sister. That's the covenant of love. That's hesed. That's being faithful and practicing justice. Jesus was very much about that. He talked about these things in his teachings a lot. Now, this is the thing is that a lot of times we're so accustomed to looking at Jesus' teachings from a practical discipleship perspective, we don't, we lose sight of what he's actually, what he's challenging, the, the system he's tearing apart, the, the bad religion he's attacking. You know, in Matthew 38, Matthew 5, we have the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, and, and we read through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, uh, actually, that's the wrong reference. It's, it's at the very beginning of Matthew 5. He gives the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Justice. Wait, justice. I thought it said righteousness. It's the same thing. Remember, it's the same thing. And there, there are some translations of the Bible that that's how they choose to translate it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. They want, uh, Jesus taught these things. Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. I mean, basically said there are people going to be going to hell because they did not help their brother. They did not help their sister. They ignored the needs. I mean, we don't usually think of that. We think, oh yeah, people are going to hell because they're, you know, never got out of their addiction or because they stole or because they lied or because of the wrong doctrine. How about because they ignored the needs of their community? Because they did not help the person in need. That's basically the parable of the sheep and the goats. Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. Same thing, dealing with poverty and justice. Again, personal responsibility. You know, uh, the, the rich man went to the, to the hot place, the uncomfortable place, and he begged for mercy. And, 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 you know, the, the, the speaker in Jesus' parable says, you got everything, every chance and everything you needed. Luke 16, the rich man Lazarus, uh, sorry, Luke 14, the parable of the great banquet, you know, that, that a lot of the people that are supposed to be there are not going to be there. So go out to the streets and invite the lame, the crippled, the blind, the needy, the poor, the marginalized of society. It's going to be a huge shock in heaven. Who's there and who's not there? Some people we thought would surely be there. They're not going to be there. And a lot of people we thought would never be there are going to be there. And that's God's heart that he reaches out to the socially marginalized. Again, keeping in mind a parent. If your kid is out there suffering on the streets, homeless, needy, you're going to ignore them and say, well, they had every chance. Why didn't they just do what was right? No, not if you love them. You're going to do whatever you can to help them. I was speaking to a woman recently who's, whose son is homeless on the streets. And just talking about him, you could see the pain in her heart and how she, and she's tell, she was sharing how, how many times she has tried to help him get off the streets and he just ends up back on the streets and how, and how painful that is for her to see. And, and she's done so much and enlisted so many people to try to help him. You know, and that's God's heart. I mean, if that is, if a human can feel that much emotion and sympathy and compassion, how much more God, the God of love, can feel for those who are out there on the streets, for those who are in, you know, concentration camps and, or, or war camps or war torn areas or refugees or, or, you know, I went to, uh, I went to one of the facilities where the children of, of undocumented workers, of immigrants, are being held and I and I spent the day with them and it was heartbreaking because honestly because I saw myself in them and and I thought how what a cruel world that they're separated from their parents they don't know what's happening they're all living in this facility together and they have no idea what their future is and that how wrong is that that their families are torn apart and and I and I just thought what god must think of this 
and how he must see our world that it would do such a thing to a child. And you know how Jesus was about children. Woe to you who put a stumbling block in front of a child. You know, and he's just very protective of children. And and of course, Luke 18, the, the classic, the parable of the widow that demanded justice from a judge. You know, and, and what you see in Jesus, all you got to do is read the Gospels. And, and, and I think that what this year is calling us to do is change a little bit our lenses. Because we used to see it just from a practical discipleship perspective. And this year has challenged us to change our lens a little and see it from a practical social perspective. The way Jesus did. that He would sit there and look at Jerusalem and weep. There's two times Jesus is recorded, recorded as weeping. One, when he went to um, Mary and Martha's house and Lazarus was dead. And even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, just the fact that Mary and Martha were suffering and were weeping, it broke his heart. His heart was broken. And he weeps with them. That's compassion. That's God in the flesh. How much more should we be that way? That when somebody is suffering, we weep with them. We hurt with them. We care about them. The other time where Jesus wept was when he was looking at Jerusalem and he, and he just mourned over them. And he said, how many times I've longed to gather you like a hen gathering her chicks, but you wouldn't come. You wouldn't be open to that. And it just broke his heart and he wept. He wept over them. And that's, that's God's heart. And that's the heart that we're trying to imitate and follow. So Jesus' teachings, there's a lot of teachings there about this. And you can tell that, it, that his teachings were not just words. They were his life as well. Because you see tax collectors and prostitutes um, wanting to be around Jesus. I mean, what does that tell you about him? I mean, normally, you know, when you're out in sin... The last person you want to get with or hang out with is a religious leader. But yet they felt so, they felt the opposite of judgment and condemnation. They felt love and acceptance. They felt grace. They felt mercy. They felt kindness. They felt compassion. They felt care. That's Jesus. That's the way we're supposed to be. We, we can't be condemning people because, well, he didn't follow the law and they didn't follow the system and, and they did the, there's a, there's a correct way to apply to get into this country. Do you know how much money these people have? Do you know how desperate they are? Do you know what drove them to leave their homes and families and put their lives in peril for a shot at being in the United States? And I'm not advocating open borders or anything like that, but I'm, but I am advocating is that we have Jesus' heart, that we be compassionate. That we care about each other. How many times was Jesus with the sick, with the invalid, with foreigners, with so-called enemies? You'd be holding up the Roman centurion as a model of faith, you know, with the condemned, the lepers, and he and and he would he would touch people. And he could, you know, Jesus could just think it and be and heal them, but he would always was giving literally the personal touch. And there's so many examples of Jesus being this way. The woman at the well that he reaches out to her and cares for her. The, the woman caught in adultery in John 8. You know, the, there was clearly gender prejudice there. I mean, where was the guy? I mean, the woman, the, it takes two to commit adultery. And the guy was nowhere in sight. But the woman was dragged in front of the crowds. And Jesus defends her. Even though she's not innocent. You know, sometimes we get so high and mighty. Well, those people, they, da, 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 you know. No, they're not, they're not innocent. And yes, they're guilty of doing wrong. But where's the compassion? Where's the care? Where's the love? Jesus stands up for them. Matthew 9, the tax collector and the prostitutes. Social prejudice because they'd done wrong. They were quote unquote sinners. This is when Jesus quotes to them, go find out what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. When you see people doing something wrong and, and think about not, we're not talking about Drug addicts stealing. We're talking about people marching because they're, they're fed up and they're hurting so much or people breaking the laws and crossing borders because they're so desperate. You know, again, not to say that we shouldn't have, you know, rules in place, but it's not about the rules. We need rules. 
Society needs rules and we need to obey the rules, but we also need to have the heart of compassion that we care for each other. When Jesus was crossing in Matthew 12, the fields and they were picking wheat. And of course, the Pharisees and the experts in the law were, you're breaking the Sabbath. Again, pointing out that Jesus was breaking rules. And he turns around and tells them, go find out what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That was, that was Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 15, we have the Canaanite woman who's ethnically, there's a lot of racism against non-Jews. And here he is allowing her to touch him, to wash his feet. Um, Luke 10, the good Samaritan, you know, I mean, Jesus loved reaching out to Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. I mean, you talk about racism, ethnic racism, and, and they couldn't stand each other. And Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. I mean, that is a punch right between the eyes, you know, that he would do this. And Matthew 8, the, the Italian soldier, you know, in a world that was full of xenophobia, you know, fear of foreigners, fear of people who are different, and racism. And he's holding up an Italian soldier as a model of great faith. I mean, that's just totally rubbing it in their noses, you know, and that Jesus is not prejudiced, not racist, cares about everybody, even when they're in the wrong. I mean, prostitutes, come on, they're in the wrong. But the question is why? What drove them to that? Tax collectors, clearly in the wrong. Bunch of no good, nothing, robbing their people, robbing their families, working for the enemy. Jesus sees Matthew and says, follow me, and, and turns him into the great apostle Matthew, who ended up starting lots of churches. I'm sure he was condemned by his community, probably didn't get invited to, to family gatherings or weddings or birthday parties or anniversary parties, probably was the embarrassment of his family, the embarrassment of his village, and yet here Jesus reaches out and loves him. Not because he was innocent, not because he followed all the rules, not because he did what was right, but because he's made in God's image. He's a child of God. So Jesus' actions absolutely upheld justice. So what's our summary? Well, we're to respect all people as God as made in God's image. We're to care for the marginalized, the widows, the poor, the immigrant, the fatherless, those that have no voice of their own. We're supposed to do something for them. Take action, speak up, do justice, defend, deliver the oppressed. Do no wrong or violence or harm. We have to think carefully about what we do. Am I doing wrong? Am I doing violence? I mean, again, this can be anything from what companies we buy clothing from that are holding sweatshops and to to using plastic water bottles to buying eggs and cage-free farms to doing whatever little thing we can do to writing letters to marching to protesting to to running for an office ourselves to to being a speaker to doing whatever we can to advocate to defend and to help justice be put into practice there's a problem with this and this is the problem that we i think we've a lot of us have gotten stuck on that if you stand up for righteousness for godliness, if you if you know and you you try to help you know feeding the hungry, caring for the widows, helping the immigrants, speaking up for the oppressed, a voice for the voiceless, def- defend the poor, helping refugees, fatherless, etc., etc., etc. There's an overlap with politics, with what Republicans believe, with what Democrats believe, with what socialists believe, libertarians, Marxism, etc., etc., etc. And the the fear is that we oftentimes have as Christians is if I stand up for justice, won't it look like I'm being political? Because we all know that as a Christian, our allegiance should be to the kingdom of God, not the politics of the world. I hope we know that, that our system is not a political system. Our system is God. It's Jesus. Our solution is Jesus, not politics of the world. But there is overlap and I think, I mean, here's, I'm just going to be really honest with you. Here's an area that I've grown a lot this year that I've, I've had to really pound out in my own heart because I think most of my life I've avoided that overlap because I was afraid of being labeled political. And even, even accidentally, I mean, I shared about, I shared at the Reach conference about helping refugees and I got hate mail. I mean, people called me horrible things. You dirty, stinking Mexican. Who do you think you are? You know, you're only a product of affirmative action. 
you know, we hate you. And I mean, just ugly stuff that was said simply because I was helping Syrian Muslims, you know, and I was calling them children of God. Now, here's the crazy thing is I had just read in Matthew four where Jesus was healing people. And it says that the Syrians heard about him and came to him and he spent the rest of the day helping healing them and serving them. Those are the, those are the, 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 the forefathers of the very people who are Syrian refugees that we were helping at the camp. I mean, literally, you can't get any closer to Jesus' work than helping the children of the people he was helping. And yet, people were hateful and mean and, and thought I was making some kind of political statement. I get it. I get that. And yes, there's a concern about that. And I don't want to be seen as political in any way because I don't believe in any of those parties. I, I, I believe it's dangerous to be yoked to any of them. Every one of those has some things that are great that I support, but every one of them also does things that I don't support because none of them are wholly Christian. My philosophy of life, my way of living is according to scripture, not according to a political party. But where I have changed is I'm not going to be afraid about speaking up anymore. I'm not going to be afraid about helping refugees or helping kids in detention centers or any of this stuff, whether it's a political issue or not. What matters is that I do God's will. Because who we will all answer to is God, not a political government. And that means sometimes we're going to be labeled political. Sometimes people are going to think we chose a side in the political debate. And the truth is, I have not, and I'm not going to, but I am going to stand up for justice. And I think that's, that's, that's the path I have figured out. You've got to figure out your own path. One of the things we got to watch out for, and I'm wrapping up here. One of the things we got to watch out for is gaslighting. Here's a definition of gaslighting. Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or a group covertly sows seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or group, making them question their own memory, perception, or judgment, often evoking in them cognitive dissonance, dissonance and other changes, including low self-esteem, thereby rendering the victim additionally dependent on the gaslighter for emotional support and validation. Okay, what does that mean? It's when we label people. It's, it's the, the gaslighting popular right now is say, oh, they're communists. Oh, they're Marxists. Oh, he's a racist. She's a racist. Oh, they're homophobic. Some of the, that's one of the older ones. Or the old one, the cult. Oh, he's in a cult. They're a cult. These are all gaslighting labels. They cause everybody to, oh no, oh no, to have nothing to do with them and, and don't listen to them and, and don't, and, 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 the, and the, the sad thing is people get cut off from learning from these people. We, if we listen to each other, we can learn from each other. So what if they're communists? So what if they're Republican? So what if they're Marxist? So what if they're, if they're ultra conservative? If they're speaking the truth, we need to listen to that. If what they're saying lines up with what Jesus is saying, then we need to accept that. Not because they said it, not because it's their political party, but because Jesus said it. Whatever lines up with Jesus. And some things, I can tell you, all those groups are going to say some things that line up with Jesus. And in that, I'm saying amen. But I'm also very aware that there are things that don't line up with Jesus. And we have to be people of grace and truth. We're devoted to the truth. And, and you know, I, you, see, you might see those pictures of the fish on there and go, what? why has it got pictures of catfish? Because when you eat a good catfish, you have to pick out the bones. You can't just swallow it whole. You've got to, you know, cut it up, take out the bones, don't eat the, don't eat the, the scales and the, and the fins. And everybody knows that. So if I listen to something, if I listen to Black Lives Matter, I can, I can say, I believe Black Lives Matter. It doesn't mean I've signed on to all their political philosophies and theologies and, and whatever they, they've come up with. But black lives matter. They really do. And, and if I listen to something somebody who's Republican says and, and I agree and they're talking about the, the atrocity of abortions, I can say amen and I agree. And, and, the, and the, and I just don't need, I don't have to sign on to everything. I need to be more aware, beware of being judgmental and being self-righteous and gaslighting people. Oh, they're Marxist. Don't listen to them. Have nothing to do with them. Maybe something they're saying is essential to the dialogue, to growing and learning from each other. So be careful what we write off. Yeah, there's times that we have to protect ourselves 
from being polluted by the world. And there are times that we need to discern carefully. But it doesn't mean we just label each other and we shut down the dialogue and shut down the learning. You know, we, and, and, we, and it's us who've got to watch ourselves with what we're labeling on who. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing, Proverbs twelve eighteen. You know, there, 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 are, there are labels thrown out there that are very damaging, that are very hurtful. And I think it's just easy to quickly accept what we hear, which brings me to the last point. You know, 2 Timothy 4, 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. We've got to be beware of itching ears. You know, we all have inclinations. Some of us incline to the left, some of us incline to the right. I remind you what God told Joshua. Do not depart from his word, neither to the left nor to the right. We, we, we've got to watch our own inclinations our own tendencies, and stick to the word. And don't just listen to what our itching ears want to hear. We need to check our sources and the facts. You know, I've been told so many things, and I ask people, where'd you hear that? Oh, it's from a website. It's legitimate. And they send me the website, and it's like, are you kidding me? This is a total propaganda website. But it's said and written as though it were factual without anybody checking the facts. 1 John 4, 1 warns us to test things, to check things, test everything. Romans 12, 1 admonishes us to test everything. And, and, and we, have to, we have to have that attitude that we don't just quickly sign on and jump on board with the bandwagon because we like their tune. No, we're checking it out, we're scrutinizing, we're being careful, and eyes on Jesus. You know, we're, we're commanded to fix our eyes on him. Because if we take our eyes off Jesus, then we start getting pulled in different directions. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Always. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus subscribe to that? Would Jesus say that? Would Jesus believe that? Would Jesus practice that? What would Jesus do in this situation? And if it's different than the political belief we have, then we need to go with Jesus, not with the political belief. Do not yoke yourselves. Be careful. We're warned in 2 Corinthians Oops, it's supposed to be 2 Corinthians 6.14. He warns us not to yoke ourselves with unbelievers. And we go running off to yoke ourselves with some group because they match what we're saying. And, and the problem is we start making excuses for the group or the person for their sin, for their crimes. And we're signing and we're yoking ourselves to an unbeliever. And we're going to have the same fate as them because we didn't discern, because we didn't test, because we didn't keep our eyes on Jesus. So, closing. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I believe that all of us who have become Christians, who have studied the Bible, repented of our sins, said Jesus is Lord and got baptized, this is our intent. To our household, our lives, we will serve the Lord. So we have to keep in mind that we don't just apply and live out the scriptures that we like. We apply and live out all of them. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That's not a suggestion. That's not a, if you want to be perfect, go do this. That's a command from God. So if we believe that God should be the ruler of our house and that our lives are here to serve the Lord, then we don't just believe in justice. We don't just acknowledge justice. We don't just tip our hat to justice and say, good job. We are to go out and implement it. We are to go out and defend it, to speak up for it, to do it, to quote God's words. So as we live our lives, God's justice is very important. And a practical theology dictates that we need to live it in our practical lives. So thank you so much for your attention, for taking the time to really study these important topics, especially in a time where it's so incredibly important, even now. This cry from God should bring us together and unify us even more, and especially in light of such a disunified 
and polarized world that we live in. Let us be the light that shines brightly. Let our light shine to the whole world so they can see our good deeds and glorify our God in heaven. God bless you. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit metrolaregion.com.